Welcome to the 10th anniversary of the 21 convention. I'm Drew Bay, and I am very excited to be guest introducing Jim Flanagan. Now, Jim has been teaching people how to exercise properly, literally, since before I was born, and uh, was fortunate to learn from two legends in the field, uh, Milo Steinborn and Nautilus inventor Arthur Jones. Uh, he has worked with professional, even Olympic athletes, coaches, movie stars, has a massive amount of experience to share with you. So uh, please uh, welcome Jim Flanagan. Thank you. That was very kind of you. Thank you very much. Uh, first of all, I uh, want to thank Anthony for inviting me to participate. Uh, it's great to get out of what I usually do to come address a bunch of young people, but I see a little gray hair like mine out here, so <laughs> I guess we got a mixed age population. But I've been very fortunate, and I was kind of figure out what I want to talk with you about, to share some things with you. So I've kind of summarized this into, uh, I hate to talk about me, but it's a journey, and my journey's about over but you are in your journey, uh, especially you young pups in your 20s. And uh, it's a different world today. And so I, uh, all I can do is share with you some experiences that if I can, I can't teach you in one hour. Uh, I learned that a long time ago and I'm old enough to know better, but I'm still young, young enough to keep trying. And uh, so what I'm gonna try to do is give you some things that can stimulate you to think outside the box, whatever your passion is, whatever career you go into, there's some key ingredients you, you may be missing or you may not know of, but anything I can put out there hopefully will help you uh, look into that. And we will talk about exercise. I don't know a lot about a lot of things, but in this field, in my 46 and a half years of being involved in it, I know what not to do. Let me ask you a question. Raise your hand. How many people work out today, currently, work out? Over half, way over half. That's good. Do you belong to a gym? Are you being personally trained? Okay, smaller group. Well, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do growing up. I never had a plan. Uh, the, the odds were against me. I didn't study hard. I didn't, put, I didn't produce. I was a good athlete. Things were done kind of easy for us, you know. I did have a work ethic. I bagged groceries in the grocery store on the weekends. I mowed yards when I could. I had to get my own spending money. But my father being enlisted in World War II in the military, 26-year uh, veteran, Army Air Corps, Air Force, had certain rules. And I went by to see him before he died and thanked him for what he did for me. He cut my feet out from under me at the end of my freshman year at college. I came up here to Orlando out of Osceola County. He was stationed at the Air Force Base down here up to 59 and retired and went into publishing business. Never, never quit working. And I made the basketball team. And he told me, he said, I will, uh, help you one year, because it was a private junior college, so it was more expensive than most schools. Now it's Lake Highland Prep, which is a very great prep school, and my middle grandson is a freshman on a wrestling team there, so it's about 20 grand a year now. So that was 53 years ago when I went there, and I didn't listen to my father, and I didn't make my grades. So at the end of the year, the grades showed up, he cut my feet out from under me and said, I told you, I might help you again, you're on your own. So I got a job digging ditches, like construction work for the next year, year and a half. Then I got a job in the finance world doing uh, repossessing furniture and appliances. Then I got a job in the bank. 
repossessing cars. And I chipped away and saved my money. I never borrowed money, and I worked my way through college. It took me seven years. I tell people I was on the Jethro Bodine college plan. If you ever watched the Beverly Hillbillies? It took me a long time to get there, but I did it. But along the way, I didn't really know what I wanted. I didn't, I didn't know my calling. Well, one thing led to another. Uh, I decided, you know what, I, I want to coach. I want to help kids. And I got my two-year degree, still worked at the bank, working 60, 70 hours a week, making 400 bucks a month. That's big money back then. And putting your life on the line with going and getting somebody's car. It's, today it's real dangerous. It was dangerous back then in 1968 to 70. The University of Central Florida opened up as a Florida Technological University with five buildings and all the property, beautiful campus. And they started a basketball program, a wrestling program, and a baseball program. Well, I wanted to go back and play basketball because I flunked out the first time and didn't make it. I got myself in shape, but along the way, I joined a gym called Milo's Gym on Orange Avenue here in Orlando, just up the road. I was six foot five, 190 pounds, soaking wet. Because in my era, we weren't allowed to touch weights because the coaches believed that you can't do this, you can't lift weights and play sports. It ruins your skill, it makes you slow, it makes you muscle bound. Well, we, today, it's just as bad today as it was back then with some other things they're doing today, which I'll get into later. So I walked into this uh, gym kind of timidly, and there was Henry Milo Steinborn. You can look him up. At one time, he was the world's strongest man. He was held in jail in a detainment camp in 19, uh, during, well, during World War I, he was in Australia as a German, and he, he couldn't get out. And uh, he built his own equipment, and he worked out, and he gets out of there and becomes a stowaway into America in 1919 in the New York, Philadelphia area, and becomes a professional wrestler when wrestling back then was real wrestling. It was a, it was a tuxedo formal affair on Friday night with a big dinner and a match. And he traveled all over the country and part of the world throughout the years of the 20s. He's also the world's strongest man. He was the first man to take a 550-pound barbell, tilt it unassistedly, put it on his shoulders, and do five full butt-to-the-floor squats. He was a tough guy, five foot eight and a half, about 215 pounds of solid muscle, tough as nails. Well, he became, became very successful in his own right, and he came to Orlando, Florida in 1953 and had the territory for professional wrestling in Central Florida. And he launched that sport for entertainment. It was very successful. Opened his gym in 1960. Well, he had a big wrestling ring in the back, and I walked in kind of timidly, you know, I'm insecure, not too sure about myself, and trying to make a, a career in the future here, go back to school full time. I started working out. It was $10 a month, no contract. But Milo had rules. One of his rules was, you better keep the place clean. You better not leave place on the floor. You better not drip outside the shower. And you better squat down to the floor. None of this sissy stuff and partial squats. Well, I got long legs, but I didn't understand leverage. I didn't know about lever systems. I couldn't squat like this little guy over here. This guy's putting 300, 400 pounds. He's doing five or six reps. I could barely squat with 150 pounds that far down. It tore me up. Nonetheless, I hung in there three days a week. I did what they told me, ate good food, got a little rest, kept my job, worked hard. A year later, I'm 240. 
Wow, I thought I knew something. I remember going back early on in the late 50s, early 60s. I picked up a Strength and Health magazine. It was a periodical that had all the reporting information about who's who and who had the big arms and who looked the best. Then there was Muscle Builder. Bob Hoffman, Strength and Health. Joe Weider, Muscle Builder, which became Muscle Builder Power and Muscle and Fitness. And of course, the hardcore is Flex, which is in the last 15, 20 years. All these magazines promoting and creating to sell you and me hope. That's all it was, but I didn't know any better. I believed what I read, and so did everybody else in the gym. So I stayed there from 1968 till about the uh, summer of 70. Basketball season starts. I walk on out of 140 people. I make the team, and they only had a limited scholarships. I got a work-study deal, and I played and started at 235 pounds. It didn't mess up my shot. It didn't slow me down, and I could take a beating. I could give a beating. I loved it. I thought I really understood it. So that year's finished. I get right back in the gym, into March 71. I start working out again. I kind of worked out during the season, didn't tell anybody because I didn't want to lose anything, and it didn't, didn't affect my shot. I go, this, some, these coaches must be wrong. Well, I get back in the gym, and there's an article in Iron Man magazine owned by the Raider family, Perry Mabel Raider. Arnold Schwarzenegger, who we all know, was on the cover in his prime. He was winning all the contests, and they were reading an article Distance, Resistance, and Speed by Arthur Jones. How many know who Arthur Jones is in here? Anybody, anybody know who Arthur Jones is? Not, not, well, look him up. My world changed overnight. I met him on a Tuesday night. My workout partner was an architect. He's passed on now. I taught his daughter later on in phys ed. And we drove up one night up to Lake Helen, Florida, near DeLand, right off the Interstate 4 corridor and met Arthur Jones for the first time. It was a monologue. I didn't say a word. I was, I, I was a little frightened, not too sure about this guy. He was holding court, and there was a, Mr., a former Mr. American named Steve Klesanen, who was, I think was Mr. American about 1956. Former Marine, great physique. He was, he was there as a guest. And we stayed there till about from 4.30 in the afternoon to 1 o'clock in the morning, and my world changed overnight. I saw something. I didn't understand it. We went on to DeLand High School. He had worked a deal with the athletic director where any machine he designed, he would give it to Coach Bill Bradford, who at that time had been replaced because he went 0-10 in football. So Arthur Jones asked the athletic director if he could start a weightlifting team with Bill Bradford running that, but Arthur Jones would train the athletes on the equipment. And the guy agreed, well, today you'd never get that accomplished. And this minutia and red tape today in a school system, there's no way. But they did that back then. And they had this Kwanzaa hut, air-conditioned, with the basic equipment that he designed up to that point in time. And he gave the machines to the coach, Bill Bradford, in writing. If he got fired or retired, those machines were his. But every athlete that played sports at Deland High School got to use that equipment. That was a heck of a deal, but it gave Arthur Jones a showroom. He was just starting his business. At that time, it wasn't even called Nautilus. It was called Arthur Jones Productions. He wasn't sure he wanted to get in that business because of the past, he knew it. It's all about hope, okay? Well, continue. 
I, I, he gives us a routine. The night before I left, he wrote a routine up with barbells and dumbbells. If you follow this routine, you've got to cut back your training time, your amount, and your sets. It's brutally hard. Well, we thought we were training hard. We got good results. We go to DeLand High School to watch a workout. Unbelievable workout. I couldn't believe i never seen anybody train that hard in my life. Well, you make blueprints. You, you learn. You, you don't forget these things. So we go back to the Orange Avenue gym, Milo's gym, and we start training that way. It took us six weeks to get in condition to do this routine. All of a sudden, we're growing. We're getting stronger and bigger. Everybody's noticing. We drove to Lake Helen uh, twice a week. He, he, he permitted us to work out for free. We drove 35 miles one way. Mondays and Fridays on about eight or nine machines he had already built. Results were even more productive. And it's amazing to watch, but I didn't understand it. But then he started putting these articles out in Iron Man magazine. They were basically copy ads, but it was full of copy. But the copy was to educate and teach you. So you read everything you could. You couldn't wait for the next issue to come out to read the next article. So my workout partner, uh, I'd already gotten a job teaching elementary phys ed. I could not get a coaching job because I graduated in December. And here's one, this is something for you guys, ladies and gentlemen. If it ends up being negative that you don't get your way, turn it to a positive. Find some, turn it to a positive. So I'm thinking, well, I can't get a coaching job, but I get a teaching job. I'm teaching phys ed. I'm helping kids. And here's the, I didn't know this. I wasn't that sharp. They had limited budget. They had me uh, coaching at Lakemont Elementary one week and then Brookshire the next week, three miles away, back and forth, back and forth for one salary. I'm doing two people's job, but I had to have a job. So I took that job right away and turned the negative to a positive and went to graduate school at night, started chipping away in that degree. I might as well, since I got that free time, I'm not coaching. But it afforded me the opportunity to go up to DeLand and work out twice a week. So my training partner, after about nine months, says, look, I'll buy five machines if you put them in your big garage because I had an upstairs garage apartment built in about 1920 and it had a five-car stall downstairs with big beams, you know, and it was solid with the plumbing and the ceiling. I said, you do that? He said, absolutely. I said, let's do it. Five Nautilus machines. That's like gold to me. I couldn't afford, I couldn't afford one machine. We put them in my garage, put a squat rack in there, a deadlift rack, a chin-up bar and a dip bar and five Nautilus machines, and I started training high school kids for free, for nothing, to help these kids out. And the football coaches and the basketball coaches are going, what is going on? These kids change. At that time, they had no structured weight program because most of them didn't believe in it. You're kind of on your own. Well, I taught school for two years. I had a summer job with Windermere Recreation to run a recreation program, 2,600 bucks, graduate school at night. I was making it. I was, I was climbing up slowly. But then I realized education, I don't know if I want to be here. It, uh, it's, it's a lot of bureaucracy going on. I, I don't know. I, I want to help people. I can't get a coaching job. I'm going to open my gym up. So I went out and raised the money and opened a gym with Nautilus machines. I put 11 machines in there. I had enough money for six months to pay the expenses if I sold no membership. Now, what do I know about the business? Nothing. I was passionate, I was hungry, I was driven, and I was starting to really understand this is something, this technology is unbelievable. 
and not counting what he was doing on a national level of marketing and advertising. Uh, little did I know, but if you're going to get in the fitness business, don't ever open up during November or December. That's party time and holiday time and ski time. Little did I know. I learned a hard lesson. I was sweating bullets. And I had to realize I got to sell memberships. So I took a three-month membership short term against the one year and the two year. And I sold, I mean, I sold a heck out of them to pay the bills and I pulled that off. And within one year, one fiscal year, I paid the debt off. I paid myself 10 times my teaching salary, which really wasn't a whole lot, but it was back then. And I was on a roll. So this, you never know what's going to happen. You don't know what door is going to open after you get one closed in your face. So this goes on for about a year. And then uh, every time I had a free moment, and I was still working on my graduate degree, I'd go see Arthur Jones. I'd hang around his company up there at Nautilus and be a sponge. I was a sponge all the time. I wanted to learn. And uh, then uh, he, he got comfortable with me, and I was respectful to him. And all of a sudden, uh, he starts calling me and said, look, we're short of help. Can you travel to Atlanta with us for the weekend? Yes, sir. Pack your bag. We'll back, be back Sunday night. Can you go to Dallas? Can you go to Seattle? Can you go to L.A.? I never turned him down. Now, my business suffered when I was away because cat, when the cat's away, mice play, right? You got to be at home, in your home base. Well, I never turned him down. And then he calls me up one day and uh, said, uh, You know, Coach Shula, he knows you. You've uh, been around him many times in the jet. Uh, there's an opportunity. He's a spokesperson, but he may be taking a territory. Would you be interested in going to work for him? Absolutely. Well, he said, he's waiting on you. So I got a hold of him. I met him in Tampa, the preseason game in Tampa at the Sheridan Hotel on a Saturday afternoon. Well, actually 11 o'clock in the morning. And uh, uh, he, we, we basically had a handshake if he did the deal. Well, three or four weeks later, I get a call from Mr. Jones and Coach Shula's CPA directed him to some other investment. And he, didn't, he didn't take this deal. So he goes, I'll tell you what I'll do. If you get a lead, you register that lead with the home office, and if you sell it, I'll pay you this commission. You can work out of your gym in, in Orlando. I did it. And at that time, I was training a man who was 56 years old, who was a senior VP of Burdines, and he was a mountain climber. He came into my gym uh, the year before and failed and said, I heard about the equipment and your gym. Uh, I want to sign up. My wife, I want to, we want to join up here. We want to work out. I got to get in shape and beat that mountain. Well, I personally trained him. Now, back in those days, personal training didn't exist. And I wasn't smart enough to understand that you can make money doing that. I just signed him up for a membership. What did I know? But I did it. I was passionate. So this guy trains with me for nine months and goes back and beats that mountain McKinley. What's that tell you? There's something here about uh, getting stronger. It might help you. I'll tell you one thing, gentlemen. At my age, you better get a little stronger so you can hold up a little longer. But write that one down. <laughs> well, Mr. Fletcher had moved to Sarasota, and I didn't know it. They, he, he got transferred in 24 hours. He had to be re right over there. And he called me, and he said, Can you come over to Sarasota, spend the night? My wife and I want to pick your brain and see how you put your gym together. I need to put her in business so I have a place to work out. I went over there, spent the night, had dinner, and the man with, with no quote, no binding agreement, 
wrote a deposit for a half of $75,000. This is a, in the 70s, middle 70s, that's a big order of equipment, but there was trust. I helped him, now he's gonna help himself. And I uh, took that and delivered that check to Arthur Jones. Never said a word, didn't thank me. You never got a thank you or a good job, but you knew his mind's thinking about something. Well, I, that gave me a little leverage. And then I got a call from a high school up in Green Cove Springs uh, one of the coaches in Orlando where I was training the kids, his brother-in-law was a head coach and they couldn't get a hold of anybody. Can you go do a presentation to the Booster Club? Absolutely, I took two boxes of literature. I'm representing Nautilus on a part-time basis, still building my gym. I'm, I'm loving life, this is great, I'm helping people. Well, I go up there, do a presentation, and I get a PO for 22 grand for a high school order. Wow, I push 100 grand one month. I was excited, put, put the order in, now I got more leverage. Well, and I still traveled. Whenever Arthur Jones called me, I went with him. I didn't get paid a salary, but I got my expenses paid. But I was getting on-the-job training. I'm meeting all kinds of people, doctors, coaches at the top level, the NFL, the college, I mean, you name it. We, we were with these people. Anybody here Dick Butkus? Remind me to tell you a story about him. I just, I just spoke to him last night. We, we, were, we worked together for eight years and we spent a lot of time on the highway together. A lot of stories. Great guy, tough as nails. One of the few people that I ever saw work out to a failure and throw up and come finish. How about that? I mean, he's tough. He probably eats nails for breakfast. Anyway, <laughs> now I, I call up Arthur Jones and I said, Arthur, uh, I'd like to come up and see you. What about? I'd like to come talk to you about maybe representing your product more often and more frequently and maybe full time. Meet me Tuesday morning at 11 a.m. At, at the headquarters, all right? So I show up at 10.30. Always show up a half hour early, never show up late. Bad, mis big mistake. I'm sitting there. He shows up at one o'clock in the afternoon. Now most people would have left. He was very apologetic, hair sticking straight up, looked like death warmed over, been up all night, said, look, I got, a, I got a film we're doing with Dick Butkus. We're way behind it. We got to finish this thing today. Bear with me. I'll get with you when I can. Passion rules. I'm not going to give this up. I hung in there. Come to the studio. I stayed all day long. What time do you think we broke to finish that film? Take a guess. Anybody? 2.30 a.m. 11 o'clock in the evening. 12 hours after my appointment. Now, most people would have bailed out and said, hey, the heck with this. But... I'm a dumb Irish guy, weak mind, strong back, right? Yeah. I wanted that job. I wanted that job. I wanted that opportunity. He goes, uh, you, I'll never forget this, you, are you hungry? I said, I'm starving. He said, you like quail? I said, Arthur, I like anything. I love meat, yeah. Well, my old, my old cronies from the reptile days are fixing quail over here at the trailer. Let's go get something to eat. We go sit there at about 1.30 in the morning. Then we go upstairs to his apartment. And he, we walk up the steps. It's a very narrow staircase. He's having a big old home renovated. They're living kind of a makeshift apartment over the factory. And he goes, uh, what are you here for? Jeez. <laughs> He's a pretty tough guy, very intimidated. I said, Arthur, I'm here to see if I can't help you sell more equipment. And he goes, if I didn't like you, I wouldn't be wasting my time talking with you. Now, I've been around there for two years, going here, going there. I mean, everywhere with him on weekends and I mean, wherever he call me, in Orlando, what clinics. I took care, I was with him, all right? So I'm side by side. I said, yes, sir, I appreciate that. He said, I'm looking for loyal people. I said, yes, sir, I understand. You're looking for honesty. I'm looking for loyalty. I said, well, I was raised that you gotta have both in your life 
to really do it right, you need both. And he goes, this is, I'll never forget this. He said, all right, start Monday, 8.30. This is what I'll pay you. And there's two things with me. I said, yes, sir, what's that? Don't ever yes me and don't ever second guess me. How about that? You, I knew where I stood right there. That's pretty simple, isn't it? I mean, well, I got the job, but there's no job description. You better find something to do. There's no titles. I was a common laborer. I loaded trucks. I picked up alligators because he's in the reptile business. I did that with it for him a couple times. I did special assignments with trucks to deliver stuff, deliver equipment, and I sold equipment. I did all the trade shows. At that time, he had, uh, he had just uh, cut a deal with a company called Metalist Industries, and uh, Metalist Industries was one of the leading football gear for high schools, the big helmets, the whole deal, and it was 50 coaching clinics a year, and it's for the high school coaches, about the size of this right here, 150, 200 coaches, sometimes 500, some the big cities, 1,500 coaches, and he, Dr. Fred Almond, who was the sports medicine guy at the time, one of our key colleagues and allies and friends, Dr. James Key, orthopedic surgeon, Ellington Darden, who some of you know, and Arthur Jones and Dick Butkus and Don Shula. Those were the speakers that first year. We go through the full cycle, 50 coaching clinics, covering the varsity sports at the time, football, basketball, baseball, track and field, wrestling. And in basketball, you had, in track, you had to, uh, women's coaches coming to those two, that, those two sports. So you had a mixed audience. Then we get through the football next year, then the spring base, basketball season clinics, the final four is over. And I'll never forget this one. This is, how he, this is how he dealt with you. He puts you in situations where you sink or swim. And he comes to me and says, look, uh, this is a brochure. I'm supposed to speak next Saturday. I'm not going. You're going. You take my place and speak on my behalf. 1,500 basketball coaches. That's kind of like shock theater. You know, you think, oh my God, you know. Well, I pulled that off. And he always told me, he said, uh, when you speak to an audience, look at the audience. He said, no matter where you are, there's always gonna be a bad apple in every barrel. <laughs> he was a piece of work. So uh, sure enough, uh, I'm introduced and there's 1,500 basketball guys. And the guy spoke before me, you ever hear of Bobby Knight? Oh my God, my heart's pounding. And this, he's great, what a speaker, and I, and I love the guy. The media wasn't fair to him. This guy, I'd, I'd want my son to play for him. I wouldn't want him to marry my daughter, but he, you know, he's great. I'm, I love the guy, brilliant man. Then the guy speaking after me is John Wooden, UCLA. So we were some heavy cotton there. So I get on the stage, and sure enough, there's a guy in about third row back that's starting to you know, question uh, what we're doing and Nautilus, you can't get big on machines, blah, 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 and uh, hurt your touch, the whole deal. So I got through the presentation. I had a pretty good, uh, at that time, a carousel slide presentation covering points. And uh, finally, I, I, I seek him out and I said, uh, could you please stand a minute? Uh, what's your name, coach? And, he tells me, I said, well, it looks like you can still play basketball. Obviously, you're a good athlete. You're in good shape. I, I respect that. By the time I got through with him, I had him eating out of the palm of my hand. I had about 200 coaches walk outside and start asking questions. So I knew I, I got the job done. And uh, th that same weekend after that, he quit going, and I had to take over the whole division and run it, supply the speakers, do the whole thing. That was just one job. It, things just kind of fell in place. There was no job description. You did what you had to do to get the job done. 
Now, I was blessed and cursed at the same time because that man, there was no committees. The politics were held at bay. You focused on getting the job. And I'm going to give you three key words, all you people. These, I don't care who you are, what job you're in, what career, whether you're high tech or you're in, in aerospace or in what design or whatever, real estate, a lawyer, three key words to help you be successful. Put them in your wallet. Look at them every Monday morning. Number one, commitment. Are you committed? You can't be halfway or partial way in and halfway out. It's all the way. That's what commitment is, all the way. Number two, preparation. I've read every article and everything this man ever wrote. Did I retain all of it? No, nobody really can. But I know the basics and I know what not to do in the field of exercise. And number three, here's where we all get in trouble. We get in trouble because we lose what? Focus. You got to focus on what you're trying to accomplish and don't get sidetracked. It, that's easier said than done because I've been, we all do that. We're human beings. But uh, that's how I got in there. And uh, my world changed in 1971 when I met him. And I really, uh, I've, I've been blessed. I've met so many great people. I met all the top coaches, the legendary Bear Bryant. I got to shake his hand in the elevator at the Biltmore Hotel in January of 83 at the Association of Fitness, uh, the National Football Coaches Association big meeting. He was being honored for his retirement and he won, uh, I think he won the Liberty Bowl. He didn't win the SEC that year, but what a man. This man, you, you, could, you could see his aura, you could feel it when, you, when he walked in the room and he knew how to handle young men. He was, he was I mean, I was, I've, I've read every book he's made. I mean, I've seen everything, I've, I've studied him. What a tough guy, came out of Mora, Arkansas, on the back of a mule plowing. They, they had to find, they, had, they couldn't eat. That's how poor he was. And he, he had a fear factor. There's a great story about one of his teammates. Uh, you probably don't remember this name, especially young guys, but Coach Frank Howard was a legend of Clemson. They were teammates at Alabama when they played football there. Well, the war breaks out and uh, Bear goes in, the, he goes in the Navy, he's overseas in the Pacific and uh, Coach Howard's over in Clemson coaching football. And the war's over, they're best of buddies. And Bear Bryant interviews at Clemson and he didn't hire him. And so the media went all over that and said, Coach Howard, that's your best friend from college. Why didn't you hire him? He says, you think I'm stupid? If I hired the Bear to, to work for me, he'd have my job in six months. <laughs> so these guys, they don't make them like that anymore. There's something else. And so I was real blessed to meet these guys. So having come back to that, my gym I had for 15 years, it got me out of teaching school to another level. I got to develop my people skills, work with people, help them, lose weight, put on muscle, increase range of motion, the whole deal. I was, I was just passionate about this. And I got to be a speaker all over the world for this company, Arthur Jones's first company, Nautilus. Well, he decides to sell it in 1986. Well, gosh, what, what am I gonna do? He sold to a group out of Texas and it looked good on paper until they started getting into it and making changes. And then he called me one day out of the blue and said, I made a big mistake. I have got the rights back to the medical designs. I'm gonna start a new company, meet me at the ranch on uh, Saturday morning, I need to talk with you. And that was in uh, April of 87. And I uh, met him and he goes, 
I know you're my friend. I hope you think I'm still your friend. I made a big mistake, but we're going to learn from it. We're going to make some new mistakes. Are you with me? Here's what I'll pay you. I said, yes, sir, I'm with you. All I had was a handshake, but I trusted him. He trusted me. I was blessed. We started MedEx in uh, September of uh, 87. We could not deliver the first medical back machine because of the FDA clearance. It had to go 90 days, so it, that was delivered April 1st, 1988. And uh, he wanted me to bring people like yourself and the healthcare people, you know, you're in that field to come down to a seminar every single day, which we did back at Nautilus the last year. We did 200 consecutive seminars with our planes flying, picking people up into their big ranch with a big runway, which is unbelievable. I said, Arthur, I, you're too old for this. It'll kill you, and I, I don't think I can handle it. Let's do one every two weeks where I can qualify good people. Get the, if we're going to spend the money, let's spend it on the ones that really we can kind of narrow it down. And that's what we did. We did that for 10 years, and we launched that company. Uh, it was a spinoff of Nautilus. Uh, we, uh, he, the, here, here's the thing about Arthur Jones, and I'm going to kind of get into this now. I'll quit talking about my career, but uh, I had to give you a little bit of foundation because there's certain things that we all make mistakes on, and I made my share, but uh, you just never know what's going to happen. But Arthur Jones was a new, unique individual. The day I met him, I saw his log books. He had over, almost under 18,000 logged hours as a pilot in his own airlines because he went all over Mexico, South America, Africa, New Zealand, and Australia and caught fish, primates, reptiles, and cats and sold them to the zoos in America. Wow. He was a Navy pilot in World War II. He produced film. How, how many, uh, some of the guys with a little gray like me, uh, color TV came out in the late 50s. And if, you, if your parents had a color TV, you saw one or two programs a week because ABC, CBS, and NBC didn't have the tools to the format to show color. Arthur Jones went into syndication with over 400 wildlife documentary films, one called Wild Cargo, one called Capture, and did several feature-length movies for the uh, networks on wildlife and made a killing in color in the late 50s, early 60s. He also started the first rattlesnake roundup in Oklahoma, which was famous for years and years. He was also a mercenary. He did a lot of things. This guy was a real deal. He, he was a free man in my world uh, from, what I, from, from what I knew of him. And Anyway, he looked at exercise from a different perspective from the scientific community at the academic level. Most people try to take the barbell and copy it. Now, the barbell came into America in 1903. It was over in Europe before that. And a barbell represented a major quantum leap in the field of exercise compared to things prior to that, which was very crude and uh, unorthodox and uh, basically not as productive. It was a refined tube with balanced resistance. It gave you more variety of exercises, but Arthur Jones identified it only works a small percentage of the muscle in a small range of motion because the barbell only provides resistance in a straight line and you're a rotary animal. How many times have you heard this, guys and girls in the gym, where you know, uh, you know, you can't get big on machines, you gotta use free weights. Have you heard that before? You met a moron. 
stupid. All right. He always looked at a problem from a logical standpoint, trying to look at solutions. And I'll tell you what he did one year. He built a knee testing machine in the early 70s, 74, 75, and 76, that looked like a Sherman tank. At that time, there was another company out there that had sold every exercise physiology lab in the colleges, every physical therapy facility and orthopedics, their knee testing machine. And it looked like a tinker toy. In fact, his was solid, but it had a 60 degree era in it. Compression on the pad, chain slack, you had to weigh the limb. All these things, nobody ever, nobody ever knew about that to get accurate measurement. But we did get measurement. And uh, I had a baseball player who was a, a league hitter in the American League. You may remember the name. Uh, we got to be good friends with the Minnesota Twins, Tony Oliva. He walked into my gym one day limping. And he was in spring, getting ready to start spring training. Came there two weeks before and his knees bothered him. So I, I, I'm not gonna touch this guy. He's a pro athlete. And I mean, I'm not a doctor. I'm not, I mean, gee, I better. So I called Arthur Jones up and he says, bring him up here. Bring him to the headquarters, let me see him. Brought him up there and he tested both knees individually at a pre-test, told me what to do. And I took him through a, a modified rehab program on our leg extension machine, leg curl machine. 30 days later, he's walking straight, bingo. Well, came back, did a post-test. We learned something from that. I only worked the, good, the bad leg. I didn't work the good leg at all. No, good leg got weaker. I think about in therapy and rehab, when you go to have, you have to have a knee redone, how about the good leg? How about the upper body? We're very proactive in our rehab programs. Well, Arthur Jones took a lot of the, the problems and solved them by designing the machines around muscle functions. And let me tell you right now, I've been doing this since 1971, 46 years, muscle functions don't change. But right, right now today, there's probably 50 companies out there that basically have copied or tried to do this. Not, they, they missed the whole boat. That whole process was basically because of the foundation of muscle function. Now, most of you probably work out a couple days a week. Uh, if you're spending more than 45 minutes in the gym, with, even with conventional equipment, you're wasting your life away. You're wasting your time away. My last workout was Tuesday. I had two of my college buddies who would go back uh, 53 years ago. They trained my house. I've got 39 machines in there. In fact, I'll give you, a, if you want to look at it, I got a website here. I'm not trying to sell anything here, but uh, it's called the, uh, it's called facebook.com, the real hit experience. They'll show a, a footage of, of my whole room there, which I put together in my house. So it's uh, kind of my playhouse. I figured I might as well go down with a bang because that's how I started in my garage when I was broke. So anyway, uh, you have to take baby steps. You can't just start running it, but you've got to take steps to build yourself up. And what I've noticed, most people don't keep records. There's two things primary that are key factors in uh, getting results. Number one, you must have a source of overload. I'm going to ask a couple of you guys, don't, don't be bashful, tell me, what, what, is, what is exercise? Define it for me. What, what, is, what, do you, what do you think exercise is? Working your body in such a way to put it through strength. 
working your body in such a way to build strength. Okay. What's, I, I'm sorry, what? Well, okay, that, that's good, all right. Anybody else over here to the side? Yes, sir. Forcing your body to adapt to progressive uh, challenges. That's good, that's good, yes, sir, okay. The best exercise I ever saw was came out of Arthur Jones' mouth was proper exercise is movement against a source of resistance. No resistance, no stimulus. Exercise does one thing and one thing only, provides the potential stimulus to trigger a positive change in your body. Now, back in the day, in the physiology books, and some of you probably had physiology courses in your college days, I did, and it had uh, all aerobic-based activity, aerobic this, aerobic that. Anaerobic was about two pages. The anaerobic threshold, which is using oxygen in the system. The other one's a lower intensity with a more steady state activity, getting oxygen and utilizing it. So uh, Arthur Jones pulled off an open door study at the United States Military Academy in 1975, May. And he tested muscular strength, flexibility, cardiovascular ability, and neck strength, because you designed three neck machines to t train the seven functions of the neck for contact sports. And we used the West Point football team. Well, I got a friend of mine that has been around almost every Division I program in the country, and less than 2% of the coaches today in the weight room are training the neck of a contact sport. What? That's how bad it is. That's something to think about. Uh, that study was uh, eight weeks with two weeks of learning. So six weeks, 17 workouts. And why West Point? Because they do exactly what you tell them to do. They will go after it, you know, they, they get it, okay? They, they had a good attitude. The results were stunning on the control group that trained on Nautilus under supervision. They increased the strength of 19 players by 59% on 10 exercises and 17 workouts. Phenomenal. The, the other group, they're on their own. Not much significant change because they just, they, they weren't keeping records. They were doing what they do in front of the mirror and lifting weights and taking a 20 minute break. All right, that study put us on the map. It was open door. People from all the country came in. Arthur Jones rolled the dice because what if he hadn't got that kind of results? He'd, he'd eat crow. That would hurt sales. But uh, he pulled that off, and it was uh, quite a study, and it's still out there on the internet. You can read it. But uh, this guy really worked at it. And uh, I've read everything he's ever put out. It's still out there on the internet, uh, arthurjonesexercise.com. It's all categorized. But uh, along the way, I've met a lot of great people. I'm going to give you a good quote. This guy, Frank Lehay, was a former Notre Dame coach who played for Newt Rockney. Now, I didn't get to meet him. He passed away in the 70s, but uh, a, great a great coach and a great quote. Egotism is the anecdote that basically is a buffer for stupidity. All right? Don't, keep your ego down. Uh, be humble. Be respectful. Stand tall. Uh, 
get into the field of exercise. I wouldn't work out more than two days a week. Uh, when in doubt, move slower. Never move suddenly or ballistically against a source of resistance. Here's the problem. How many people have you ever used a barbell? Most of us? All right. Here's the problem. The barbell was used to compete in three different sports. Number one, Olympic weightlifting, which is a very dangerous sport, probably one of the most dangerous sports on the planet. All right. Acceleration forces are phenomenal. Skill is phenomenal. And you're using heavy poundages for one-time lifts. Well, the other sport is powerlifting, which evolved into the 60s. That's three lifts, bench press, squat, and deadlift. Well, you're doing single one-time maximum lifts. The other sport was bodybuilding, which didn't come into vogue till the late 30s. That's the physiques with the biggest muscles and the biggest thighs. So the general population sees a barbell and they, they associate the barbell with those kind of people. Well, the average population, is they ignore it. They stay away from it because they have a perception and a, an opinion about or an impression that that's going to happen to them. Why would I want to do that? Well, the barbell, uh, it was a great innovation. Do you know the single best exercise? You, if there's one exercise you can do the barbell, what would it be? That's right. But what kind of squat? Full squat with no bouncing at the bottom. Do you know why you bounce at the bottom? Because, well, it's too heavy at that point. You may, be, you may be strong enough to support 600 pounds standing straight up until you rotate that hip, knee, and ankle. But that lever changes and it, the resistance doesn't change to accommodate your strength at that degree of angle. And that was a whole evolution process of him designing cams. Each muscle group has a different size cam to regulate the resistance to, to uh, match where you're, where you're stronger, you're gonna be, it's going to be heavier, and where you're weaker, it's going to be lighter, but you're going to have, on a single joint, full range exercise. Okay? So uh, that was the whole premise of it. And uh, it, was, it made exercise safer, harder, and more efficient. Better results in less time. All right? Now, the second company, MedEx, was predicated on a back machine, which we built several models of back machines at Nautilus. The Nautilus hip and back machine, the Nautilus geared hip and back, the Nautilus dual poly single leg hip and back. Then uh, we started doing testing with a prototype and realizing, God, what, what is a strong back? We don't know, but we realized, he realized, you have to lock the pelvis to allow the lumbar to go flex and extension. If the pelvis rotates, the back floats along for the ride. Genius. Wow. I was at a medical meeting showing the big medical machine. $50,000 unit, computerized, Accurate measurement, testing, repeatable, like a, like a fingerprint, and rehabbing the soft tissues of the low back in isolation. And a man walked up at this orthopedic group. Uh, he, he looked at me, he's an older man. He, I looked at his tag on his badge, he's Thomas DeLorme, MD. If you've ever had physiology courses, that name is famous because he, in World War II, was a captain in the Army, and he had to uh, discharge paratroopers for blown out knees from jumping. And he built an apparatus to work the quad 
and get the quad back, and he did not, he did not discharge him. He kept him in the military, which you could have got court-martialed and put him back to work. And that's called PRE, Progressive Resistance Exercise. It was a study he did. That's still referenced today, years later, 70 years later. He, I said, are you the Tom DeLorme? Yes, I am. I said, well, I've read about your literature. I've known, I feel like I know you. I've got your book. And uh, at that time, he was the medical director for a big, big insurance company in the Northeast, which was the second payer of workers' comp in the country. And he goes, I want to learn. I've been looking for this my whole life. Because he was a sick kid growing up, and they didn't, they didn't expect him to live past 18. And he, uh, they, you, you got to lift weights to build yourself up. Now think about that. Everybody stays away from it, but the doctor's saying you need to build yourself up. He did. He did so well, he became an Olympic weightlifter and qualified for the 1936 Olympic team and hurt his back on his ship going to, over to uh, Munich and didn't compete. So I got a hold of him the following week, flew him down first class, took him to meet Arthur Jones. He spent nine days with him. I want that machine right now. And uh, we stopped production, got him a machine without an order and put it up there. And uh, as you may know, I'm sure you people in corporate America, you deal with people sometimes, things don't work out the way it's supposed to. There was a group of people that weren't included in the decision-making process. They didn't like it, so they sabotaged the whole project. And he, he got sick and went in the hospital. He had to retire. You never know, you never know. But uh, tell you what I'm gonna do. Let's open up for some questions uh, about some of your personal routines and things, and we'll do a little talking here. I'll try to answer some questions for you. I'm losing my voice. Anybody got any questions? Yes, sir. Uh, sir, do you advocate, uh, if you're primarily doing free weights and you've always done free weights, would, do you then advocate switching over to a Nautilus? Well, it depends. Uh, I'm sorry. He, the question was, uh, if you're doing free weights, barbells and things, are you saying, would you advocate switching over? Well, you know, you do what works for you. Uh, you sometimes you can't find the equipment. You know, it may not be available, but uh, uh, you can uh, apply the protocols and principles, which Drew Bay will, will probably cover Saturday because he's been doing this, every, I think, every year with you, and he's very good at what he does. And uh, uh, I would cut down. I, 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 here's what I'd do. Cut your training back. You're probably training too often. How many days a week? Three days. Okay, cut it to two. Write your routine out. Keep records. Uh, pick your exercises. Work larger muscles to smaller. That stimulates the overall body. It's called indirect effect. We don't know why, but we know this. We did this years ago. We would train your legs for six weeks with no upper body work. Take the measurements. Your arms and your neck would be a quarter to half inch bigger with no direct exercise because the squat or pressing movement is working so much muscle mass and there's such a metabolic effect from it, the overall body is responding. But I've seen on the other side of the coin, guys in the gym that work out, they just, they're pump artists. They're pumping their upper body up all the time and get a little bird legs. <laughs> and they look weird, but they, they stop growing. And until they work those legs hard, they don't thicken up. I'm sure you've seen that. Does that answer your question? It does, sir. And I guess one more follow-up. Yeah, absolutely. Would you advocate using the same rep schemes with a Nautilus machine as you would a free I would. Yes, sir. I would. Uh, and, and the guidelines are basically for safety. And we know you got to tax the anaerobic threshold in about 60 seconds to 90. But select a weight that you can, in good form now, that you can handle at least eight reps for. 
that's safety. If you can't get eight, it's too heavy. But if you exceed 12 or 15 for the lower body, 12, go up 5%. It's in the books, you know, it's just, it's a guideline, but use your, and keep the records of what you do and do one set to failure. If you add another exercise over here, drop something else over here. Don't make it a longer workout. And I know this from my life and my training, back in the day, I had to have a workout. I'm not gonna miss my workout. Well, I'm stupid. I gotta travel, I got, I got time zones, I gotta take people to dinner, I'm gonna be a half the night. What am I working out for? I'm gonna be in an airplane catch, catching germs. Your resistance is down. Spread it out. Get that recovery. You need to have rest because exercise does one thing and one thing only. It provides a stimulus to trigger growth and you do not want to exceed that reserve recovery ability. You have the ability as a, as a, as a young man training, just starting out, to increase the strength of muscles by up to 300%. But that recovery over here slightly increases because of your conditioning up to about 50%. So the stronger you become, the less you need of it. I worked out yesterday, 27 seconds and 10 minutes, nine exercises, they put me through a brutal workout. My last workout was 21 days ago. I needed that recovery. I'm in a restaurant business, by the way. Steakhouse called Christner's over here in Lee Road, so I, I help operate that. I got involved in that. That's another thing about life. You never know what's gonna open up. I was a, a big customer, their first customer years ago, and. Uh, the owner came to me in 2003 and asked me to come help him. I said, well, I'm not, in this, I'm not in this business. I'm in another business. I trust you. You saved my business the first year, and I'm, I want to settle down and tone down. And I said, well, i got to talk to my wife about this. That's a big commitment because it's every night, five or six nights a week. He said, I'm counting on you because I'm terminally ill. And I knew right then I couldn't turn him down. So my world changed again at that age. I've been there 14 years. It's a great gig great stakes. I get to see a lot of people I hadn't seen in years, and we take care of business, just like I did in the old days. So you never know what's going to open up for you. So how about another question? Anybody else? Yes, yes, sir, right there. Right here, sir, right there. There you go. Yes, sir. If I'm, if I'm finding that I'm not gaining in a particular exercise, let's say leg press, I'm hitting a plateau. Yes, sir. Would I go to a different machine or do more reverse? Well, that's a good question. The question is, uh, I'm not gaining, I'm not going up, I'm in a plateau. Here's what you probably need. If you're not going up in weight or reps or both, because you want to be double progressive to get meaningful stimulation. Every time you go in that workout room, you either increase the rep or the amount of weight or both without giving bad form. Okay? So what I would do is back off, take a little more rest. You need recovery. Now, uh, unfortunately, today, uh, there's a lot of things out there, but there's a couple books. Uh, uh, all the Arthur Jones stuff is out there on the Internet, but uh, Dr. McGuff, who I only met one time, I've never really spent any time with him, and John Little have put out uh, Body Science and uh, Question and Answers. Uh, they're good books. They're good reference books. They got some good data. Now, having said that, in my and I'm going to give you an opinion, my experience, in my workout room at my home, I have a 39 machine package of mixed Nautilus that I had restored, so I had in the gym 44 years ago, and all medics. I don't have any free weights in there. I don't need them, because I can take that jet from Orlando to Atlanta every time now, instead of riding that horse or that buggy or that car. We can get, the, we get results with all the tools you have, as long as you got overload, but I got what I want, all right? Because I've been doing it a long time. And uh, I realize this, I can take you through a workout Two workouts a week in my gym at home, 
That's 104 sessions in one year and never do the same workout twice. How about that for variety? How about that for CrossFit and all the stuff these people are doing? Do not move suddenly against a source of resistance. You're going to hurt yourself. I did over 400 demonstrations on a force plate with an oscilloscope back in the day for seminars with Arthur Jones at his property. Jogging in place, and my body weight back then was three to five Gs. I don't care how good a shoe or what brand you wear, a G-force is a G-force. Acceleration forces are going to hurt you. Those forces are vectored right up your spine. Then I had to throw a barbell up and jerk it real quick and catch it. Within 30 days, I had numbness in my fingers when I woke up in the morning. So I had to cut the weight from 145 to 100 while still slanging it. I still got to catch it. Uh, I finally said, Arthur, I got to quit this. I'm, this is, I'm going to end up crippled here, you know. And that's what these, they're teaching that to people like you out there in the audience. Uh, slow down. Be careful. But Arthur Jones always said this. Uh, there comes a time if you, if you, 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 you don't want to move suddenly, ballistically or explosively, but don't move too slow. And, I, and what that means is you're going to work a certain percentage of fiber on each rep. All right, strict form, keep breathing. And as you do, fatigue sets in, these other fibers are going to bring brought in there. You're, going to, you're training all the fibers that you can within a given DNA. All right? Work them hard as you can. You may be hard as you can go, but you're not going very fast because those fibers are shot. All right? And when you can't curl that bar, you're done. Uh, exercise to be meaningful has got to be hard. It's got to be of high intensity. What does that mean? Put your hand like this real quick. Put the other hand like this. How much force is that top hand pushing on the bottom hand? None, right? How much is that left hand, lower hand pushing on the top hand? None, right? All right, when I say three, one, two, three, push as hard as you can. One, two, three, push as hard as you can, back off. That was 100% effort. By going 100%, that's guaranteed stimulation. That give me 66 and two-thirds percent. We can't measure that. Momentary muscular failure. Your workout must be hard, it must be brief, and it must be infrequent. You take the animals in the wild, and then we're homo sapiens, right? Arthur Jones used to call us homo locos. Because <laughs> we're the only ones that have a brain to rationally make decisions. But the wolf, the bear, and the mountain lion, North America, those are three distinct separate animals that have unbelievable muscle mass. They're very strong, very powerful, and very fast. What's their workout routine? Well, they work out when they got to eat. They got to kill it, and they got to fight off the alpha invader. It's very hard, very brief, and very infrequent. They don't take steroids. They don't take protein powder. And they don't do split routines and multiple sets, do they? They get muscle. So we need to learn from those animals. By the way, steroids, that's another thing. This whole thing about male hormones and all this stuff, be careful. There's not enough research out there. Everybody's making money on it. It may, be your, it may be your butt in trouble. Be careful. There's not enough long-term studies about all this stuff. I know the females, they have therapy in that, but be real careful. The drug culture started in about 1958. York Barbell Company, believe it or not, and I believed all I read in the magazines, they were taking steroids, Dianabol, which came out of Seba Pharmaceuticals out of New Jersey, promoted by Dr. John Ziegler, who was an MD, third generation, going back to the Civil War, MDs in the family. His heart was in the right place. When he died, he was, he was saddened and embarrassed and wished he had never done it. But he got them all taken Diana Ball. And he hit the West Coast in 58. Goes back to research in the 30s in Switzerland. 
five scientists had the patents filed on this. And there's evidence uh, talk. I haven't seen I haven't seen written evidence that Hitler used those on his uh, superior race and probably killed a lot of people uh, taking them. But it's a no-no. There's no shortcut to getting results, but hard work. Somebody in the back had a question. Yes, sir. It took you a couple years of working for, for someone for free before it paid off. What would you say to a generation who might expect instant gratification and think it's a waste of time? And what is the value of an apprenticeship? Well, as I said, my journey's about over, and I, I hate to be your age today. I'm sorry. I lived a great life. Met a lot of great people, shook a lot of hands, and people stood up tall and they, they backed to work. But having said that, there's a few people I wish I hadn't met. We'll all say that. You'll, you'll, you'll say the same thing 30, 40 years from now. But to answer your question, there's no free lunch. Nobody owes you young people nothing. It's up to you to go get it. Toughen up. Arthur Jones taught me one thing. I had, hey, I, 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 was I lived in fear. I wasn't sure what's next. You, know? you, have to, you have to toughen up and work smart. And if opportunity only comes by a few times in your life, grab it. And one thing may lead to another thing. It's like connecting the dots. But, uh, I mean, it's all based on experience. Uh, Arthur Jones, I don't know, he, he used this quote. I, I, didn't, I don't know who said this, but he said this, always similar. Success comes from good judgment. Good judgment comes from experience. Experience comes from bad judgment. <laughs> that isn't the truth. But Bear Bryant had a great quote. Everybody has the will to want to win, right? but very few have the will to prepare to take what it does to get to win. That's tough practice, as you know. Back in the back. Yeah, um, my, uh, my mother, she's 67. She works out consistently like, like, like an animal. She can, you know, get on the bike. I, 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 I missed you. No, my, my mom, she can, she can get on the bike and, and, and knock out 26 miles. She goes to the gym, works out consistently. My father, he's, uh, he's obese, possibly morbidly obese. It's two different complete lifestyles. Yes, sir. I'm I'm consistent right now to be determined to to, to live the life that my mother lives. You know, healthy and, and, and strong at 67. But you know, as time goes on, sometimes things slow you back. What's what's kept you focused? What's kept you consistent? Well, there's three words I gave you, and uh, if I'm going to walk it or talk it, I better walk it. And uh, you know, we have a we have a our society has become so sedentary today in the last 30 years because of the high tech everything's computerized and this and it's just we're sitting too much and I'm a phys ed guy first I always I mean physical education is first and uh, you're doing the right thing you see two extremes here and you're caught in the middle of it and you're you're young and now you got you got to take the bull by the horns and make sure you don't get in a situation now your mom's probably grossly overtraining because she gets that euphoric feeling she feels good about it but she's wearing her joints out all right you got a brief exercise, stimulate, recover, and go play your sports or your activities, your recreation. Recreation is different than exercise, but you have to be active, and you need to. Everything's in moderation. A diet, for example, hey, there's only one diet that really works. I don't care what they tell you, but look at the impulse buying on TV every night. Weight loss, fat loss, bam, bam. Eat this food or this food. It'll ship in 24 hours. You have this, this, and this. You got to try this. Since 1860, 26,000 fat loss, weight loss diets have been introduced in America and only one works. What is it? Reduction in consumption. 
cut the food down. And what's a balanced diet? Carbohydrates, fats, and proteins. It's simple. I'll, I'll, I'll confess, in January, because of the business I'm in, late hours, comfort food at night, not much sleep, trying to stay in shape, I went to 280. I go, I know better. So I regulated my diet. I cut portions down. I started eliminating certain things like sugar and bread and stuff, just cutting down. Dropped 22 pounds since January. I'm where I should be. But it was getting out of control. It's easy to get out of control. I lost focus. That ain't going to happen to me. I'm, you know, trust me. It's, it's discipline, self-discipline. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Um, what do you think about uh, these programs like uh, strong lifts and starting strength? I, I, could, I couldn't get it. What do you think about these programs like uh, strong lifts and starting strength that make a heavy emphasis on just five exercises? Oh, okay. Five, the, the big five or something? Yes. Okay, well, okay, let me say. In my experience, uh, people get bored, especially Americans get bored quick. They want quick fix, impulse, and they, they lose interest quick. Well, it's just us. They want it now. And I was in that gym business 15 years, and I've been to gyms all over the world. Ver, there's an old saying, variety is the spice of life. you got to keep them, you got to get retention. Now, if those guys are doing that, and, that's, and it's working for them, that's great. I'm not going to badmouth that. I don't, I'm, there's no reason to. If that's their model, they're promoting it, that's fine. But uh, I changed it around. In fact... Sometimes I take people through and uh, I don't tell them what they're going to do because they anticipate what's next and they'll slack off on this. I don't want them to know what's next. It's even better. But uh, your style of performance is very important. You need good supervision. Your form's the key. You don't want to get hurt. But just, you know, just moderation and uh, train hard and get out. Yes, sir. So, uh, how much? I got to Go on. So uh, how much does drinking hinder our progress and uh, in what ways? Okay. Drinking alcohol. How does it hinder progress, drinking? Well, I, I mean, studies are showing now that red wine is very healthy for the heart. They, you know, there's Mediterranean. I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there. But uh, uh, personally, in my life, I've seen too many of my friends get uh, the monkey on the back. Put some, they have a lot of problems with alcohol. They become alcoholic. Uh, I tell young people, I will swear in a stack of Bibles, I've never done a drug in my life, and I know what's going on out there today. I know marijuana is 48 times more potent than it was in 68. It is a gateway drug to something else. You're rolling the dice. Alcohol is another problem. It's legal. You have to use common sense and look at your history and your family and use moderation. I mean, I mean a good glass of wine or a beer is not going to hurt you once in a while. I tell young people, instead of this culture over here, get high on life. Live it right. Make something of yourself. Way in the back. I hope we're not taking up too much time here, but I'll, if you got questions, I'll try to fire something at you. I'm not in your hurry to get home. Sir, can you talk about motivation and specifically how to get out of uh, kind of a rut, you know, when you haven't worked out in a while? Do you have a training partner? No. You're, you train by yourself? Yes. Okay, take a few days off. Don't train the next day you think you're going to train. It throws the body off a little bit. And may maybe take a week off. 
where you really want to come back in there and train. That changes your attitude a little bit. I've done that all the time. Sometimes I'll go three weeks without a workout, but then I can't wait to get in there, and I can't wait to get out either. So, but I but I do it. So, but if you find oh, go ahead, finish. If, yeah. you, if you find a training partner that will work you and kind of motivate you, I mean, you don't scream in their ear. I don't care. All, you don't all this rah rah stuff. Just work them and guide them through it. And you focus on what you're doing. Those three key words I gave you, that's working out too. You're committed, you're prepared to do it, and you're focused to get it done. It applies to everything in life. Yep. Thank you, Jim. We're done? Okay, thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs>